it just me or do you like church too? I really do. I love church. I love being with God's people. I love being in the house of God. I just think there are so many significant things that happens whenever a group of people, uh, like-minded, spirited people, can gather together and just begin to press into the things of God. I just think at those moments, anything can happen. I really believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. And I just, this is like a highlight. Every Sunday, I just like, it's like the Super Bowl for me. It's like, it's, it's the game of all games. It's the highlight. It's like the World Series. Is that over with or is that still going on? They finished last night. Who won? Astros. Who's that? Okay. Oh, the cheaters. <laughs> Not this year. That's right. No, it's, um, it's, but I love it. I love the feel. And uh, I love it when we gather together and then there's this pushing, this pressing into the things of God. And there's something about the corporate dynamics of that that you can't get by yourself. I know you can worship God by yourself. I know you can pray in tongues by yourself. But there's something corporately that begins to get released on a greater level whenever we gather. I really believe that's why Hebrew says, uh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially all the more as you see the day approaching. That there ought to be... I think because everybody talks about the end times, right? Everybody's talking about like these are the last days. Well, this has been the last day since the first apostles. It's been the last day. In fact, all the apostles, the original dirty dozen, they all thought that they would live to, to see the return of Christ. Every one of them did, but none of them did. None of them did. So there's this, there's this all the more. And if, if we are living in the de last days, and we may be, I don't know, neither do you. Neither does the, uh, the best theologians on the planet. Nobody knows the day or the hour. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's kind of where I hang up my theology is on the Bible right there. And so I think the responsibility of all of us is when, if, if we are living in the last days, we, we don't know that as far as our, our generation but we know it is our last days. I mean, you, know, you, don't, you won't get to come back around again. So these are your last days. So if we, if we press in together, we see the greater outpouring together. And there's something dynamic that takes place when we don't forsake the assembly. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but, but I think church ought to be a priority. I think church ought to be the number one thing on your list. To the point that Jesus loved it so much, he died for it. He gave his life for his bride, right? So I think there, there, there ought to be, just look at your neighbor and say, you need to make it a little bit more priority. Just make it a little bit more priority. Yeah, that's, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but there shouldn't be no days off. No Sundays off. Unless you're working or on vacation. See, I had some good amens while ago. I lost them. I lost them. I lost them. That's all right, you know. I got my own. I brought a few in my pocket right here. I will amen myself. But I think there's something dynamic that's taking place. And I do believe our world has changed. I do believe our world is shifting. I do believe demonic powers has escalated. 
I believe all those things because the Bible says in the book of Revelations that the enemy knows that his time is short. And I think the enemy, although he don't know the end times, he don't know, he don't know it like God knows it, but, but he, can, he can discern things. He can sense things. He's been around for a long time. And so, so when, when he turns up the heat, I believe the church ought to turn up the heat. Come on, talk to me up in here. I believe the church ought to turn up the heat. I believe the church ought to be pressing in. And it's kind of like what happened last Sunday morning. How many were here last Sunday morning? It's kind of like what happened last Sunday morning. You know, the power of God always moves when the preacher don't preach. <laughs> we get the best moves of God when the preacher ain't preaching. But you know what? God began to move. And you know what? There were some significant healings that took place right here at this altar last Sunday morning. Amen. It's, uh, is Layla here, Senia? That She got her doctor's report. They went on Monday. Uh, she, she was diagnosed with, with deafness in her ear. She was going deaf. And I know on Sunday morning, Jacinia went back there to the back and got her out of Children's Church and brought her up here at the altar. And I think Vanessa, Pastor Vanessa prayed for her and maybe some others. And they went to the doctor on Monday, and everything's good. Everything's fine. Is that right? Got a clear bill of health. Listen, I know peas don't mean much unless they're your peas, but I'm telling you, if my daughter was going deaf and she got touched by the power of God, I'd be lifting my voice with a shout. I would just say, take that devil. That's what I would do. Amen. Amen. And so and I know Cecil testified on Tuesday night at prayer, had chronic pelvic pain and back pains and just, just struggled with it for years. Tuesday, I mean Sunday, right here at the altar, supernaturally got touched by the power of God and walking in more freedom today than he has in years. Amen. I, I just, I, I just, I like, I like to, I like to throw them testimonies out there to make the devil sit there and listen and, and sit there and take it while we say, this is what you meant for harm, but look what the Lord has done. So we just turn it around and we just push it back into the enemy's camp and say, huh, you can't stop what God's doing. So that's why the gathering is significant. I will tell you this too, uh, Karen is at home. She's recovering nicely. She, she, she had some tubes in her. She had uh, some of them taken out uh, last week. She'll have some more possibly taken out this week. But she's recovering really well. We believe every day is a miracle. We just believe every day is just a better day. And so we just thank God for that. Amen. And I know there was other people. There were so many breakthroughs. I had people come up to me uh, last week, even throughout, throughout the week, and said, man, something happened in my life. Something happened in my family. Something happened in my journey with God last Sunday morning. But you know what? That's the result of people pressing in together. That's why every service counts. Every service matters. That's why we ought to be pressing in and pushing into the things of God, because I believe it can just get better. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, I got a couple things. I, I feel like uh, Pastor Mark was releasing some things over my life a while ago. And, um, man, I've, I've been in a struggle really all weekend. We had uh, Tim Lee's funeral here. I saw Miss Swindle over there, uh, her daughter Sherry's husband, Tim Lee. Many of you know Tim and Sherry, just an integral part of this house. Uh, they were here. They've been here for, Tim, Tim's been here for six years. He got saved, started coming to church. And uh, got baptized here and just, just a strong part of this house. 
this, this, every chair in this building was filled yesterday, and then we added another 100-plus chairs during the entire funeral. Just so many people were here to honor and give tribute to him. And you know what? At the end of the service, I just asked for salvations, people that wanted to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we literally had, I counted at least 30 hands, but there's probably more. 30 people at least gave their life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So that's the testimony and the legacy and the grace of God that's on Tim's life. I mean, such an impact. And you know what? I, I, I shared this with Tim in the hospital prior to his surgery when I was over there. And, and we were just talking and just sharing back and forth. And, and, you know, God prepares us for every encounter that we're about to walk into. We may not discern it. We may not recognize it. But God does something in our hearts and in our spirits. And we had no idea that Tim wouldn't be here today. We had no idea last Saturday that he would pass away. But you know what? He prepared six years of his life for that one moment right there. He'd been prepared to slip off into eternity. And I don't know about you, but even while he's dead, yet he still speaks. Amen. That's the power of a testimony that just continues to move on. But I was just all week long, I just, it's been a really busy week, just working with my wife as much as possible and just helping her and just other things. So many, and I do want to say this, so many of you have brought food by, y'all can tell I probably gained 15, 20 pounds in just a couple of weeks. It's just, the, the food's been amazing. The, the cards, the letters, the flowers, the gifts, everything. Thank you so much for everything. But, but it's just been a, a real hectic week. And, but I kept hearing something in my spirit throughout the week what I believe God was saying in this house. And then Pastor Mark just shared some things with me about just, you know, open it up. Just be obedient to the Holy Spirit and speak to what I felt like God was saying. And I really felt like we're in, we're in a season, we're in a moment, not just in our church, but in our nation. And in the climates and the region that's around us. And, and just like, uh, uh, I'll just say this too, and, I'm, uh, and it, it don't bother them. I, I'm not afraid of confrontation. When it comes to spirits, uh, that don't bother me. I, I believe, I believe, I believe we just attack spirits and we kick them out, we root them out, we cast them down, we do what we got to do. And you know, Thursday we had the the forum here for the candidates. We had that lined up, and it had been lined up for weeks. We had a we had everybody said yes, they were coming. And then the 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 evening before the forum, uh, uh, some of them canceled. And, and it, it, it didn't bother me that they canceled. It just bothered me that they're letting a the spirit run them. And I don't, want, I don't want you to get mad at me, but I'm just telling you that this, this city, this region is driven by a spirit. It's just driven by a spirit. And, and, it's, and it was, it, it was, it was going to be the, the, the safest venue they probably have ever been in in their life. And it was just simple questions relating to topics. And, and I'm just saying, that's what we're contending against. We're contending against spiritual strongholds in a region that have to be broken. They have to come down. Now, just, just track with me for a moment here. I was telling Pastor Carlos the other day, just something that God been doing. In fact, I was coming back from visiting uh, uh, Tim and Sherry there at the hospital, and God was speaking to me. Out of Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers and wickednesses that are in high places. And God began to deal with me. How many know that, that if, you, if you put it in that context, if you put that scripture in that context, people are not your enemies. 
People are not your enemies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, we don't wrestle against people. We wrestle with the spirit that's driving the person. That's what we wrestle with. Because if we, if we bold it down to this, there's, there's really not bad people on the planet. There's just bad ideologies. There's bad spirits. There's bad ideas. That gets influenced by some kingdom. Either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. And that's what drives it. And so that, that's been our thing here at New Harvest Church. You know, when God birthed New Harvest Church in this region 32 years ago, it was not so that we could be the status quo. I'm going to wait on you. It was not so that we would fit into everybody's little religious corner. It's not so that we could just get along with everybody and make everybody happy. God birthed this church in this region to confront the principalities and the powers and just say to them, you don't get a right to run roughshod over this, over this county, over this region, over this territory because there's going to be a pushback. And so God birthed this house with a group of people that said, you know what? We want the will of God to be done. We want thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let it be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And, that, and, and Pastor Carlos said a while ago, so we, what we do is we take that mission, we take that mandate, and we drive it into every sector of society. I heard a, a guy said this week, he says, the church don't need to be in politics. Then you don't want us in your school. You don't want us in your marriage. You don't want us in raising your children. If you don't want the church involved in politics, then why do we got to have the church involved in everything else? Because you want us to pray at your funeral. You want us to pray at your baby dedications. You want us to pray at football events. You want, us, you, you want the church to pray before you open up a meeting. I'm just telling you, if you don't want the church involved, then you're going to have to kick the church out of every other sector of society. And I'm just saying to us today, we are not backing off from intimidating spirits that say that the church can't be the church because we're going to come into the business world. We're going to come into the education world. We're going to come into the governmental world. And we're coming, we're coming because we believe that we have a mandate to represent a kingdom that is cannot be seen, but it, from, from, a, from, a, from, a, from a religious viewpoint, it's a kingdom that cannot be seen through the eyes of people. But what they do get to see is they see the activity and the involvement of God's people in the church invading those sectors. Come on, you ought to give God praise right there. And I, I just, I, I've been wrestling with this stuff. I, it's, it's not just this week, but for weeks. Because the, the, the apostolic mandate, the prophetic apostolic charge, the mandate that's on this house is to let every principality and power in this region know, if you stick your head up, we're coming after it. I got three claps, four maybe. This is where the church, we've been silent way too long. We have set back way too long. And, and the, reason why, the reason why our nation has lost its way, it's not because of evil people in power, it's because the church has not been vocal. Come on, look at somebody and tell them, we got to get loud, we got to get loud, we got to get loud. And, and getting loud don't mean I'm mean. Getting loud don't mean I'm, 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 I'm ugly. Getting loud just means I'm going to take a stand on what is right, 
what is truthful, and I'm not going to be swayed away from that. So, 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 like, if my kids come home with crazy curriculum, I'm going to say something about it. Amen. My kids are grown now. They won't come home with crazy. But I got grandchildren being raised. Amen. Amen. I can't tell you how many letters I wrote for people during the pandemic wanting religious exemption because of what the government was putting on them. That's illegal. But we can't be quiet. Somebody says, well, if they throw you in jail, I'm taking you with me. <laughs> I say, Lord, they made me do it. <laughs> but there is this, there's this, this power that are operating in the earth. And one of the reasons why God raised up this ministry is not to comply with those powers, not to be in agreement with those powers, but to raise a standard so that the, so that the, the, the surrounding people around us will have a measure to point to, will have something that they say, you know what, we don't have to be like that. We don't have to live like that. We don't have to go through things like that. You know what? That's the same standard we raise. If, if, if there's sickness in your body, we believe God for healing. If you need a breakthrough in your marriage, we believe God for breakthrough. If you need a financial breakthrough, we believe God for financial breakthrough. It's the, it's the same thing. We just attack it on different fronts. But it's all driven by a spirit. Amen. So what God has done and what I believe he continues to do is raising up a body of believers that says we refuse to be silent. We refuse to sit back and let the enemy run roughshod over our territory, over our region. And so there's this, there's this movement, if I could just say it that way. And I'm going to read you a scripture here in just a second. I'm not going to preach everything today, but I'm going to read this scripture to you because I believe there's this movement where the things of God, are getting deeper. But you can only experience God at those levels based on your willingness to get into it. And I believe right here in Sugartown, right here in the Glaze region, we're about to see some of the most powerful, monumental moves of God that this region has ever experienced. How many are with me on that one right there? Amen. Okay, come on, jump up on your feet and grab your Bibles. We're going to do this real quick. I'm just going to get started. Is that all right? I'm not going to finish today, but I am going to get started. Can we do that today? Hallelujah. Go with me to Ezekiel. This, this passage of Scripture, like, literally, literally just leaped in my heart and, uh, and I just want to release a couple things over your life as we press into it. Amen? Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel 47, verse, verse number 1, it says, And then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, the water was flowing from under the threshold of the house towards the east, for the house faced east, and the water was flowing from down under, from the right side of the house, from the south side of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and he led me around on the outside of the outer gate by the way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling 
from the south side. And when a man went out towards the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. And again he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, water reaching the knees. And again he measured a thousand, and it led me through the water, reaching the loins. Somebody just shout, it's getting deeper. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river. Somebody shout, it was a river. It was a river that I could not ford or cross, for the water had risen, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I, when, now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. And then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region and they go down into the Arabah. Then they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea. And the waters of the sea become fresh. It's the same word for healed. And it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be many fish, for these waters go there and others become fresh or healed, so that everything will live where the river goes. And it came about that the fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to England, and there will be a place for the spreading of nets, and their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and, it, and its marshes will not become fresh, and they will be left for salt. Verse number 12, last verse. And by the river on its banks, no one, no, no one side, on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail, and they will bear every month because of the water that flows from the church, the sanctuary, and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Notice that there was a river that was flowing from the church. There was a river that was flowing from the house of God, from the sanctuary. I want to talk to you this morning, and we're going to deal with a couple things today, and then we'll really probably get into it next week. But I want to talk about giving proper stewardship to God's presence, giving proper stewardship to God's presence. And my title this morning, I just simply titled it Rainmakers, Rainmakers. Run to about three people standing around you and tell them you are a rainmaker. Come on, will you just tell them, will you just put that into the atmosphere of their hearing? Come on, find somebody in your neighborhood and tell them you are a rainmaker. Come on, can you just put it out there really loud? Somebody shout, I'm a rainmaker. I'm a rainmaker. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you today, Lord, for what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that we already sense and feel in this place. Lord, I thank you today that, Holy Spirit, you're the preacher, the teacher, the revelator, and the communicator. Thank you for what you're going to do in lives, and we give you all the praise now in Jesus' name. And everybody together said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated just for a few minutes. We won't keep you long today. 
Pastor Mark released something over me, and I've been, I, I had two messages coming in here today, and I didn't really know which way to go. So I just, I, I had something that I sent right before I got here, and I was just really tolling over it. I almost thought I was going to change it, and then Pastor Mark said, no, I think whatever God said to you, you need to release it and speak to the region, speak to the atmosphere and what's going on. So I think I'm on, I think I'm on it, okay? Does that sound all right? So in our text today, uh, Ezekiel gets this vision of water that's flowing from the threshold of the temple. It's water that's flowing from the church or the sanctuary. And what began as a trickle began to increase dramatically about every third of the mile, every thousand cubits, which is about a third of a mile. It began to increase every third of the mile in its depth. This river in his vision that he has is flowing. And the Bible says, we read it, it flows all the way to the Dead Sea, but when it gets there, it miraculously begins to give life to those dead areas. We know in Scripture many times that water often is tied to the life and the work of the Holy Spirit. The river in this vision is ultimately the future or the evidence of the Spirit of God that has returned to the house of God. It's the river. It began to flow out from the house of God. And in this vision that Ezekiel is having, it's about the river of God that's flowing out from the sanctuary, as he put it, as we would term it in today's terminology, out through the church. It's a picture of how God was on his way back to his place, how God was working his way back to his people. It's his presence that's flowing into a land and it's bringing life wherever it goes. It's a picture of how the church should be living. It's a picture of how the church should be flowing. It's a picture of how the church should be deepening in their walk with Christ. It's a picture of, of, a, of, of a growing life in Christ that, that's being made manifested through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a picture of the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit moving through a body of believers into a society that is in desperate need of the touch of God. That's what this picture is. That's what this, 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 this vision is that he has. And the book of Ezekiel comes to us about a nation that was literally in a decline. It was a nation that was, uh, that was in a religious decline. It was a nation that was in a governmental decline. And it was a nation that was in a family decline. And so part of, of, of what was going on here was that none of these designated authorities, the, the church, the government, or the family, none of these authorities that God had put in charge of the nation, none of these authorities were following the commandments or the statutes of God. The church had turned its back on God. Now the government has turned its back on God. And now the families have turned their back on God. And Ezekiel is given this vision, and it's because, because all of these designated, assigned, authoritative agents in the earth, so to speak, have not kept the commandments of the Lord. And because they haven't kept the commandments of the Lord, everything in their world was in a decline. So God shows up on the scene, and he begins to speak to Ezekiel, because how many know that God always starts with his people and his house first? 
When, when God begins to speak about the conditions of a nation, a region, a territory, or a world, he never goes after the target of those people that are lost and undone. He goes after his people first. God always starts, God always starts in his house first. He never starts in a courthouse. He never starts at the White House. He always starts in his house. And so this vision that Ezekiel is having is about how the word of the Lord is coming back to the man of God, to Ezekiel, the prophet of God in that day, and he begins to release the word of the Lord over a despondent nation, a people that have been held captive in Babylon like there's no way out. And Ezekiel's message, watch me now, it comes to a remnant of Judah who is demoralized and they are living in exile in a Babylonian captivity. And this word, this word comes to them in the midst of that. Their temple had been burned and, and, and the Israelites, the entire monarch of the Israelites had been overthrown. The city of David and the Lord's temple no longer existed. And the theme of his message, as it is to every individual message in this room today, is you have to take moral responsibility for the national calamity that's going on. The church has to take on a moral responsibility for the national calamity. In other words, every individual is responsible for their own sin. Every person is responsible for their own waywardness. Amen. Preach, preacher. I'm trying. The weight of the collective sin of each individual, watch this now, has contributed to the breaking of God's covenant with Israel, which resulted in a nation living in exile. Because the church no longer had presence. The governments of God's kingdom of that day no longer had presence. Family order no longer had presence. And so now you have this decline that is working in an entire nation that has brought them into a place of captivity. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just challenge us a little bit today? I don't, I don't have a bone to pick with nothing other than principalities and powers. I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not, I don't like the way things go sometimes in our nation, but, but, but I believe that if the church could get it right, we could get the nation right. I believe if the church could get it right, we could get our city and our counties right. If the church could get it right, we could get our families right. And so, so, so you got all this that's going on, and so you got the weight of this collective uh, sin, so to speak, that's in the camp. So here's the point. Until we as the people make the kingdom of God the priority of our life and the order of our life, then the order of the culture will never be changed. The kingdom of God, which is God's rule and reign, His rulership, and the kingdom of God is not a place that's in you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is not over there, over here. The kingdom of God is within us. So, so, so it's, it, it's, it's the kingdom of God is any place where the rulership of God has been established in hearts. That's where the kingdom gets to manifest. And so, so, so here we are as, if I could just work it out just a little bit. 
Here we are as a people of God, assigned to a territory, assigned to a region, whatever, however you want to name it, living in America. Here we are as the people of God. We can't be responsible for everything that's going on around the world, but we can, we, we can be responsible for our world. And I, I, I got this crazy thing on me. I, I, I blame it on the Lord because I, I, I wasn't even thinking like this, but, but it's, like, it's like, and I don't think God, it wasn't in an ugly way. It's like, it wasn't like God was condemning me, but he was like saying, you're responsible for your neck of the woods. You're responsible for what's going on in your neck of the woods. In other words, it's like the Holy Spirit was challenging me, don't give in to the principalities and powers even though they're present. I said it to you probably a month ago now, but your, 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 your enemies may be prevalent, but they're still irrelevant. Because God's not intimidated by his enemies. So if God's not intimidated by the working of the enemy in the world, the church ought to know what side we're living on. Okay? So here's the point. There's this priority that has to take place. 1 Peter 4.17, if you're taking notes, it says, The time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. So it begins with me first. The reason why, if I could just use Ezekiel's vision, the reason why the culture is drying up is because there's no water flowing out of the church. The reason why the culture is suffering is because there's no presence coming out of the house of God. Woo, that's tight, ain't it? Now, you're going to have to throw an amen out there every now and then just so it don't get even tighter, Okay. The, 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 the culture is the result of a non-involvement church. When there's no water coming out of the house of God, then the culture is going to do what it's supposed to do, and that is keep decaying. That's why Jesus puts us in the category of salt and light. Because salt, salt, salt is like a preservative. It stops the rottingness at a rapid rate. So as long as we put some salt in the midst of the decaying, we begin to preserve what is going on in the culture until people can see something different, hear something different, so they can live out something different. And the reason why God, I'm just going to get really bold for a moment. The reason why in God's sovereignty, in the way he does in the economy of God, the reason why he pulls all of us together at one time, at one place in a region is so that we can begin to push on something together and we begin to sustain a climate where it makes the power of God conducive and it makes the reality of the presence of God tangible. Push on somebody and tell them we need some rainmakers now. We need some rainmakers. I'm going to get to my point maybe in a minute, but we need some rainmakers in the house. We need some people that know how to make it rain. We need the rain of God's presence. We need the flow of God's river coming out of the house of God. It can't just be a Sunday morning meeting and say, well, I punched in my spiritual time clock and I just put a praise on for about 20 minutes. No, there's got to be the reality of something that lives on the inside of me that says no to a world that's on the outside of me. It says I refuse to compromise who God is in my life. I'm not going to compromise God in my family. I'm not going to compromise God in my business. I'm 
I'm not going to compromise God in my government. I'm going to hold to the standard. And that's the word. That's the word. That's, and, and there's everybody here at different levels, different walks of life. It don't matter. It don't matter where you work at, what you do. If you own your own business, if you work for somebody, there ought to be some integrity about your life. There ought to be some character about your life. There ought to be some things in your life that makes you distinctive, that makes you set apart. When people see you, that you shouldn't look like everybody else on their block. When people see your home, it shouldn't look like everybody else's home. It's not that you don't have troubles. It's just that you are walking with a distinction about your life because you realize there's presence on the inside of me and what's on the inside of me flows out of me. So God raises up people and in every generation. Ezekiel was prophesying to a remnant of people. Wasn't prophesying to everybody. He was prophesying to a remnant of people and saying, hey, God has a word for the dryness in the land. (laughs) If God's presence it's not among his people, then we can't get his presence in our neighborhoods. Until we can get the water to flow down the aisles of our churches, we can't get it to flow into the streets of our neighborhoods. That's why when we gather together, I think it's one of the reasons why I started and said I probably lost track, but when we gather together, we begin to lift our voice, and it's never about a song because I got a whole different selection of songs I would sing if it was just me and my band. <laughs> I, just, I'm, I live on a different playing field. I just, I don't, I, I, but it's nothing about the songs that we sing. It's about the corporate worship that we have together. Amen. They don't even play your favorite song on the radio all the time, but you still listen to it. So, because so, I, I get this sometimes, well, they just don't sing what I like. It's hard for me to enter in. That's immaturity. That's immaturity. Because I can worship God with a banjo and a string. Amen. Amen. In fact, some of the best worship is in my shower. <laughs> oh, I just gave you all visual. That wasn't fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there ain't, ain't, ain't no pastor porter. There ain't no worship team. There ain't no angelic singing. But God. <laughs> huh? Say, <laughs> so, well, if I could just, if they would just sing my favorite song, I could worship God more. No, that's immaturity. Because sometimes you're going to find yourself in a wilderness. You're going to find yourself in a low place. You're going to find yourself in a valley. And you're going to, no song makes sense. No words make sense. But you got you to gotta, you gotta be like David. You got to learn how to throw up a praise. You got to learn how to worship God in the midst of a backside of a desert. When you got hungry lions and bears coming after everything that you own. You just got to know how to sit there in your corner and say, God, I thank you. God, I worship you. God, I praise you. You're the same God yesterday, today, and forever more if you did it back then you can do it again I'm not intimidated by what I'm going through and you just begin to worship God worshiping God is not a song it's the attitude of your heart so you get in that place and you begin to worship God and so so you got all this that's going on in Ezekiel's life because there's no water there's no river there's there's no presence there's no Holy Spirit it's flowing out from the church and and I these are old-fashioned terms it just helps me relate that that's why we need a revival that's why our churches need to come back into a revival 
the answer to our culture. Just track with me because we're at election time. But the answer to our culture is not more legislation. The answer to our culture is not more equality. It's not more reform. And it's not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. I'm not, I'm not preaching against good legislation. I'm not preaching against that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying that's not the answer to the culture. The depravity of our culture is the result of sin. The waywardness of our culture is not because of bad government. It's because some of the most monumental moves of God are happening around the world right now with dictators in power. Some of the most monumental moves of God that are taking place where revival has swept across entire uh, uh, regions and territories and some nations is where there is no gospel allowed to be preached in public, uh, public form. So if we think, here, I'm trying to help you. It's not that those things are bad. But if you think for one moment that good godly government it's going to create a revival in our land. You have been deceived. You have been misled. Because it's, that is not what creates a revival. What creates a revival is when sin-filled hearts turn their life to Jesus Christ. And what makes, what makes the culture acceptable is when the church has some power flowing out of it. When the church has some presence flowing out of it. I'm going to help you in a minute if I can get there. Because we, we, we and, and I, I, I feel it like everybody feels that we get all hung up at election time and we're voting for our whoever. And, and you should. I'm not, you got to vote. You need to vote. You should be responsible enough to vote. I'm not saying that. And vote for the candidate that is most likely to ensure righteousness. You have to do those things. But at the end of the day, I'm not counting on a worldly government to move the, the movements of God in the earth. Just won't happen won't happen and the church don't need to be deceived and thinking that if we get this candidate or that candidate then we're going to get a move of God the answer to our culture is not secular government the answer to our culture is not better or more legislation it's not better reform and all those things are good the answer to our culture is when the church has a river flowing into every stream of society and we let the devil know you may have been camped here for a long time but we're bringing life, we're bringing hope, we're bringing breakthrough and we're bringing freedom in Jesus' name. 1 John 1.29, guys did I give you that back there, 1 John one or not 1 John but just John 1.29? I think it's, yeah, the next day, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming to him. He said, behold, look at this. Look at this is what he's saying. Look at this. The Lamb of God who takes away sins of the world. You could preach on that by itself. John the Baptist said, hey, everybody look. Here comes the answer to culture. Here comes the remedy for a sin-sick world. 
Here comes the sacrificial lamb. Here comes the almighty God wrapped up in flesh. Here comes the answer to a sin-filled world. And he's coming over those old Judean hills. And he's walking right down here. He is the sacrificial lamb that will take away the sins of the world. We need the sacrificial lamb in our churches. We don't need to back off from preaching about the power and the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse a life. Because if it can cleanse us, it can cleanse them. Behold the lamb of God. And only, watch me now, only, not your secular friends, not your secular worldly ideas and ideologies, not Elon Musk, not business titans. The only one that can represent Jesus to a sin-filled world is his church. It's the church. In fact, Ephesians 3.10 says, it's through the manifold wisdom of the church that principalities and powers are made known. In other words, they are, they are rooted out because of the witness of the church in the earth. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, we need some rainmakers. No, say it like you got something in you. Say, we need some rainmakers. Yeah, we do. We need somebody that knows how to make it rain. See, part of the issue is that the church continues. If we're not careful, I need to, I need to stop because I ain't going to be able to get to everything is that the church, we have to be careful that we don't continue to compromise the fundamental things of our faith just because the culture is getting sicker. The answer to the culture is not a compromising church. The answer to the culture is a church that's distinctive. And here's our problem that we're facing in our nation. Can't speak for every other nation, but we got stats on ours for sure. When you have evangelicals questioning scriptures that was once a firm, absolute, and standard on biblical morality, and you have evangel when you have preachers that stand in the pulpit and they no longer adhere to scripture, I'm just trying to tell you the water is drying up. The land is drying up. That's what's going on. When you and, and you got to be careful who you listen to. You got to be careful. Listen, just because it's glitter don't mean it's gold. Just because it sounds good don't mean it's godly. And I, I'm, you, you have to reference everything now because everything, everything is at your disposal. Everything's at your fingertips. And, and you can watch a, a five-second TikTok and be so off on your theology and believe it because it's popular. You can believe it because it's trendy. But just because you believe it don't mean it's godly. Just because it's trendy don't make it right. And so we have to understand that, that, that when, when the culture... When the culture is drying up, we can't point the fingers at government. We can't point the fingers at systems. If the culture is drying up, it's because the water ain't coming out of the church like it needs to be coming out of the church. Hallelujah. So we got all this... This is what Ezekiel was contending with when the, when the church, and I, I'm, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching holistic here, okay? I'm just like, I'm, like, I'm like, like, like trying to just target one or two things. I'm just saying this is the madness of our culture. When the church begins to embrace, not just our church, but the church in America, when it begins to embrace the sins of culture, 
and they call it acceptable. You just have to know that there's no water coming out of the sanctuary. There might be some feel-good moments. You might get all hyped up. You may walk out and say, oh, my goodness, how, how awesome was that? But if it don't change behavior, if it don't put conviction on the inside of you, it don't, if it don't cause you to think about a thing, then all you did was be moved by your emotions through some good entertainment. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, we don't need good entertainment in the pulpits. We need some fire, Holy Ghost, spirit-filled, life-changing power preaching that begins to say to people, this is right, that's wrong, get on the right side, get with God, flow with God. No, this might be a little different for some of y'all. Some of y'all look at me like I've lost my mind. I probably have because God, God, God is I'm t- it's a wake-up call for the church in America. We've been silenced. Now you have this, this. This is where it gets. This is where the mixture. Now you have the sins of the culture that was once marked as sin, but because we've been two or three generations down the road, now we don't want to call it sin because it's offensive. Well, the last time I read my Bible, I get offended because I get challenged. James says when you look at the Word, it's like a mirror. I don't want a mirror that reflects me and my ugliness. I want a mirror that reflects God and says you got to change your ugliness. But when you live, and I'm just trying to help us today, when you live, in a culture that's so embedded in its nature and in its sinfulness, and then we try to bleed that into the church so that the church becomes acceptable to the very culture that it's trying to witness to. You may get a lot of bodies in the building, but you have no transformation. I tell you, I, I said it yesterday at, at Tim Lee's funeral, and, 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 and Miss Swindle was there, and and many of you, but, but, but what, what made Tim's life stand out, he only been saved for six years. But man, he had, this whole section was filled with his workers. People that worked with him. This whole section was filled with people. And you know why? It wasn't because he was a good mechanic, although he was. What, what filled that seats, those seats right there, was his witness for Jesus Christ. Because they saw how he was and what he became in six years. There was a transformation. That's what the gospel does. But if we water it down and we give apology for the way we behave rather than repenting for the way we behave, then society looks at us and they go, well, if it's in the church, it ought to be all right. I'm just trying to tell you, that's the problem. It's dried up in the church, so it's dried up in culture. Oh, Lord. Somebody said, I didn't wake up for all, I didn't get up for all this today. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'm told you in the very beginning, I'm not attacking people. I am attacking spirits. Whoo. Because I, we're not going to let it. If it throws its head up, we're coming after it. We're coming after it in the name of Jesus. Let me give you a couple things here real quick. The problem that we have is that when you have 70% of a nation that claims to be Christian, 
but they no longer adhere to Scripture. And then they begin to eliminate doctrine. And now you have a culture in crisis. And I was thinking about this in our nation. America is what, 240? Help me, brain guys. Yeah, shaking your head. 240-something, right? 248, 249. Okay, somewhere in the twos. That's about all we are. Maybe, maybe right at 250, I guess, right? Okay, 1776 from 2022. How many is that? Huh? Okay, uh, 246. 246. America's 246 year old. 246 years old. One of the youngest nations on the planet. There are many other nations that are thousands of years old. America's only 240-something years old. Birth with a move of God. Birth with the fire and the passion of the Holy Spirit. And, and then, then it began to weed off a little bit. But then in the 1906... You had the, the Azusa Street Revival there in California where it was the, the relaunching of the Holy Spirit in America and literally around the world as well. And so from 1900 to now, look how far we have come away from the things of God. And you can't blame it on government. You, you can't blame it on laws and legislation. You have to take personal inventory and say, how come I've been silent while my nation is going to hell? How come I've been silent while my friends are going to hell? People that you work with, people that you do life with, don't let them bring compromise and mixture into your heart because you're the only vessel that has the purity and the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through to them. So that about Tim had a whole section of people and several of them testified and they all referred back to his walk with God. A man who was like totally lost without God six years prior to that transformation began to take place that's the gospel in action and then you begin to walk in the journey and you know what you say well I don't want to lose my friends you don't have to worry about that they'll back off <laughs> and you know what here's the lifestyle evangelism you don't you don't have to preach to them you ain't got to quote Matthew Mark Luke and John you live as a godly example in front of them And you bring them in because they see you and what God has done in you. And it triggers everything they're lacking in them. And they'll say, I want what you got. That's what Ezekiel was prophesying to this remnant, saying, listen, you got to take personal responsibility for what's going on in our nation. Because if you'll take personal responsibility, we can get the water to flow and we can bring healing to the nations of the world. Amen? So here we have this. Pastor Porter, you guys can come on. We got to quit. I don't want to go past this because I don't. Can I preach this next week? Would that be all right? 
Okay, got three of y'all. I'm going to preach it anyway. Okay. That's why the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, don't pay attention to deceitful spirits. Don't pay attention to doctrines of demons. Because what it does, it sears your conscience. Your conscience becomes seared. That's what he's talking about in 1 Timothy 4. When you pay attention to doctrines of demons, when you pay attention, attention to wrong doctrines, over time, your conscience becomes seared. What does that mean? It means that you don't have the ability to discern between what's right and wrong. That's not the way to get water into society. The role of the church has to be where we adhere, stand on, cling to scriptures. There was a day, I wish I had time, boy, I wish I had time to make this point, but it's not going to, I, mean, I just need to leave it because it's just going to make a mess. But there was a day in the church that was revered and respected, whether you attended or not. You just knew that that was the church house. And people had a, people had a reverence for it, whether they were godly or not. But they, there was a reverence to it. You know, it's like, like you didn't tread on the church. It's like you, you, you stayed back. I mean, like you, you don't talk about it. You don't, you, don't, you don't go against it. But you can see how far we have fallen in just a few generations. Now the church is openly mocked. Now we have leaders. There used to be a day in our nation that you couldn't even be elected as a congressman, a senator, without being a member of a church. Now we're electing atheists. They don't believe in God. So we have this, this, this culture that we're living in, this, this day, this hour, this generation that we find ourselves plugged right in the middle of. And just like Ezekiel got a word for his nation, that word had to start with the church and was saying to him, if you can get the water, Flowing through your life. If you can get the water flowing through the sanctuary, the culture will be a byproduct of your own revival. I'm not, revival is not even the world being saved. When something gets revived, that means it had to be vived. (laughs) It had to be alive. The world is dead. The world is dead to its trespasses and sin. The church is not. So God has to revive his people so we can change the culture. That's why I didn't even get to my, book, my, my, my scripture in Job. That's why we got to have some rainmakers because long before there were meteorologists and, and weathermen and all this stuff, long before all that, God gave Job the remedy on how to make it rain. He said, just like the sun beats down on the earth and it vaporizes the moisture in the earth, it comes back up and it begins to impregnate the clouds. And when the clouds get so impregnated, when they get so heavy, they begin to drop with rain and all of mankind begins to benefit. Can I tell you what we need? We need some people to begin to impregnate 
appropriate the promises of God. We need some people who begins to be worshiping, praising, and honoring God so that the worship can go up and the clouds can be impregnated so that the rain of God's presence, the rain of God's outpouring, the rain of God's goodness begins to fill every level of our life. Come on, if you believe that, just get on your feet and just begin to give God praise. Come on, just put your hands together. I know you've been sitting for a while, but come on. Come on, come on. I, I don't have time to preach all this like I want to. I'll, I'll get it next week because I got some real powerful points. <laughs> Always do. The way Job put it was, he said, he said, when... When the sun, the S-U-N sun, pulls the moisture out of the earth, it pulls it out of the rivers, it pulls it out of the ocean, it pulls it out of the lakes, and it begins to, to evaporate upwards. The S-U-N sun pulls it, pulls it, and the clouds become so heavy that they can't hold it no longer, and they burst with rain. That's the picture of God's church releasing the reign of God over a captive world. Zechariah gives us another insight. He says this is how we're going to get the reign of God to fall in the land. He says when all the families come together and they begin to worship God, the reign will fall. But then he makes this point. He says if there's no worship, there's no reign. So as the people of God, God invites us into moments so we can begin to release the reign of God. Ezekiel's river flowing. And I've known, I've studied this years ago, but the river rises when the rain falls. That's right, that's right. If you can get the rain to fall, the river will rise. I'm hungry. For God, like I've never been hungry for God ever in my life. And I've been hungry for a long time, but I'm hungrier. I found out years ago, miracles are not for the holy. They're for the hungry. I'm hungry for God. So when I begin to lift my voice, when I begin to lift my praise to God, the S-O-N son begins to draw out of me. And then he begins to sprinkle the world around me until everybody begins to benefit. Come on, you got people in your life. You got people in your home. You got people in your family. You got people on your job. They need, they need you to be a rainmaker. They need you to, they need, they need somebody that knows how to draw on the presence of the Lord. Amen. So come on, just for about two or three minutes, will you just lift your hands and just begin to magnify the Lord? Come on, will you just be a, a rainmaker right there where you are? Come on, will you just begin to make a demand in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.